Hi, I'm Noam Wasserman, Dean of the Sci Sim School of Business at Yeshiva University. I was a longtime professor at Harvard Business School, an entrepreneur, and a venture capitalist. I wrote the bestseller, The Founder's Dilemmas. And I'm Charlie Harari. I've been working with companies for over 10 years. And that book, The Founder's Dilemmas, and the challenges faced by the 10,000 founders in it is the basis of this podcast. We are delving into the issues faced by startups to help you avoid the pitfalls that claim so many good companies. Let's get started. And hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Founders Dilemmas podcast. I'm here with Dean Noam Wasserman, and it is great to be with you again. Dean, what do you have for us today? So today, Charlie, great to see you again. Uh, we're going to continue with serial entrepreneurship, but take a very different cut at it. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at Rav Noach Weinberg's Atal, who was the founder, as I had mentioned last time around, of possibly, uh, definitely on the short list of the most important Jewish organizations that's been founded the last few decades, Aisha Torah. Um, and so we're going to take a look at a bit of the path that he took. Uh, let me talk about first why I was interested in this. Um, there was a tweet that Rav Leibowitz, who is a close colleague of mine at uh, Yeshiva University, he's the head of the Smicha program, uh, very effective user of the online platforms to be able to disseminate Torah. Um, and so a tweet that he had a, a few years ago that really caught my attention because it's right up the alley of some of the things that we're talking about. And that tweet was a quote from Rav Noach Zatal. Failure is not the opposite of success, but it's precondition. Essentially, what I've learned as I start to understand a little bit better uh, the, what underlies this, it was Rav Noach saying that my early failures as a serial entrepreneur are what set me up to be able to found an Aisha Torah. Yeah, yeah. And a year ago, I was actually in Israel. I was uh, traveling uh, from yeshiva to yeshiva to talk with our students who were there, and we're going to be coming back to campus. And I put up that tweet and just asked, does anyone know who Rav Noach Weinberg all was? And the second row at Yeshiva Shalavim, my alma mater, uh, hand goes up, and a student named Justin said, yes, he was my great uncle. Wow. I was like, golden, like, can you tell me about this huge person? Um, a bunch of the details around what does this tweet mean and where was it coming from? And a bunch of the things that he said sparked my interest in learning a lot more about Rabbi Weinberg. And so when I uh, got done with that trip, um, I dropped a line to the CEO of Aisha Torah, Rabbi Stephen Berg. And the next day, uh, and I asked him essentially, how can I learn more about Rav Noah? And the next day, his son, Ellie, who is a student of ours at Sci Sims, walked in the door with a signed copy of a biography of the best of the biographies of Rav Noah, uh, written by Jonathan Rosenblum, um, for me to be able to learn and read a whole bunch more about it. And filled in a lot of the gaps for me, but also there are a few other questions that I had. And so just last week, I reached out to the author, to Yodosa Rosenblum, and talked with him about a bunch of the ins and outs of it so that we can be able to understand his story a little bit better. And those are several of the things that we can delve into in this portion that we're doing on serial entrepreneurship. But it also gives us a chance to be able to do some review and extension of a variety of the things that we've talked about through our first dozen episodes. Yeah. Um, and so uh, let's take a look at a little bit of that lens at a bunch of the things as we understand Rav Noach's uh, path and uh, the se several of the other insights that it gives us into serial entrepreneurship. You know, I had an opportunity that God given to spend six hours with Rav Noach. Um, when he was in the later years, he was spending time in America and I had just gotten involved in Aisha Torah. 
and the man named Jimmy Calland, who is in Israel, said, hey, I can get you into Rav Noach. I said, okay. Um, like, you know, they say Rav Noach, and it's like, not really Rav Noach Weinberg, it's Rav Noach Weinberger. You know what I'm saying? Like, when they, they pull that move on you, I'm like, is it the actual Rav Noach? He's like, no, it's the real one. I'm like, the real one? It's like, yeah. So um, I spent three days, two hours a day, eight to 10 in the morning, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, I want to say like it was 2000 and maybe five. Um, and in that six hours that changed my life, he spoke about his failures. And it was unbelievable the way he spoke about them. And, and he told me a little bit of, 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 of the story, which I'll, I'll, I'll splice in here. But it was um, very much, he lived, and even later in his life, after he's achieved all that success, he saw his failures as a badge of honor um, that, he, that he carried with him you know, up to that point. Okay, no, that's great. Uh, looking forward very much to learning from that. And uh, but you, you're talking about embodying that tweet that Rev Lewitz had put out yeah. there yeah, about the precondition for my succeeding was the failure and uh, yep. going back to the intentionality of learning from the failures and other things like that. Um, yep. And so let me lay out some of the pieces that struck me and then I would love to hear uh, which pieces you learned from Rav Noach that would complement them. Um, so first off, let's start off with the, um, the, the co-founder problems. Um, uh, the... Uh, the second to last venture that he had was something that was called Shema Yisrael. Um, it's what then got renamed into, uh, relatively speaking, when he and his co-founders were fighting there, um, got re-renamed into Or Sameach, which is now also a major institution. Um, but he was the real core founder um, at uh, Shema Yisrael. He'd actually gotten a warning from Rav Yitzhak Hutner Zetzal um, before he founded it. He, this is actually a quote right from uh, Yonason Rosenblum's book. Um, don't take any partners. And then Rav Yonason uh, injected in, in parentheses, a matter in which Rav Hutner had his own bitter experience. So like both of them had made the mistake of taking on co-founders in the wrong ways, several episodes that we've focused on um, yeah. in terms of being able to make that happen as a, uh, a plus for when you're doing it. The unthinking co-founder um, is where you're going to head yourself into all sorts of problems with it. He ended up co-founding with three of his best friends. And so another one of the topics that we've already gone and tackled, um, yep. he was the real founder, but essentially all four of them felt like they were equal partners in this venture. And so we're hitting right now on all three of the R's essentially that we had hit on during our episodes, the, the relationships that you tap, the roles and decision-making and the rewards that you have within the venture. Um, one topic for a future episode that we're going to do is how are the rewards different in a nonprofit? Like uh, one of these yeshivas, like the one that we're going to take a look at later on when we talk to a founder of a nonprofit. Um, but in terms of all of this, it's embodying the, the core dilemmas, the core pitfalls that we took a look at early on with co-founders. They ended up having all sorts of disagreements over how to educate the next generation of students. And so, for instance, the other three believed in the standard yeshiva model, that having the Talmud, having Gemara be a core of what you're educating is critical for it to be the centerpiece. Um, but Rav Noach, for what he wanted to be able to do, he thought that that was leaping too far ahead, that he wanted to take a bunch of the people who would be able to benefit from having a bigger picture rather than heading into the details of the Gemara, uh, people who would be able to benefit from um, being able to see uh, his 48 ways. I don't know if you got into that with him, if you'd cover that during your six hours and other things like that. Several things that he honed on the curriculum and how to be able to educate the young of the new generation and other things like that. And so they had all sorts of disagreements, a very bitter split over their vision pedagogically of the education um, that they should be doing. And because of that, 
he left the venture and left it in their hands to be able to create what uh, became Or Sameach. But is also a very pointed quote that we have from here, um, from the book. Not only did, did he lose his partner, but partners, but also his best friends. And the quote is, the breakup of Or Sameach meant the loss of three of his closest friends, perhaps his closest. So it's not just the venture that you're going to have all sorts of problems and then everything could go on all nice and well with the people that you had co-founded with your best friends. We talked about the playing with fire. We yeah, talked about how you get burned by the damage that is caused to the cherished relationships. Reb Noach was embodying that also with the way in yeah. which it was never again the same with those people. So that's the first of them. I would love to hear more if you, uh, if you have other insights from that. I'm just, I'm, I'm reflecting on, I'm forgetting her name, that the woman that, that you had mentioned that came into your classroom that started the company with her husband mm-hmm. um, and that ultimately told the classroom they got divorced. Like I'm reflecting now that one of the, the, the pitfalls that you want to work with the people that you, you, you're related to, you know, and how often that happens with, when you make those decisions as to seeing the back end of what happens when it goes wrong. To me, just hearing this, though, the distinction that I'm creating here, which is, I think, important in this case, is the idea of the ideology behind a business, right? And and the distinction there, right? In some cases, it's just a way to make money. In some cases, it's a life. And clearly, in Rav Noach's case, this wasn't a business. This was his life. And so he was so ideologically focused that he couldn't stomach to go elsewhere um, and do it any other way. Um, and it's interesting just how just how founders need to have that much passion for what they what they're doing to be able to be serials to be able to go out and do something and it manifests sometimes in when there's a breakup they just it's too too hard because the opinions are just too strong yeah no it's definitely the case in the, for for Shema Yisrael and uh, yeah. the way in which he was uh, founding that who he was founding it with how yeah. they founded it together and other things like that um, so next one thing that one thing I'll jump ahead. in. I, I think Shmai Yisrael was number nine. I think on the list of things that he founded, Shmai Yisrael was the ninth thing that he founded. What, when we were in the room together, he told me he started nine organizations. Along the way, Shmai Yisrael was one of them, but there were nine that he started that all came to failure before he got to Asia Torah. Oh yeah, that's really interesting. That's actually actually one of the things I was watching for in uh, Yonason Rosenblum's book. I really understand because there's the, uh, the I think it's from Mishlei where they have the you know, that the what is it Tzadik that he he fails right. seven times and still gets up. I was hoping yeah. it was going to be seven foundings right. that he had on the way to yeah. getting up to be able to to do a Shatora. In uh, his book, it looks more like it was five on the way to it, but it's, it's very intriguing to see what a founder considers a founding uh, yeah. versus what uh, what other people might from the outside look at it. Um, right. But uh, in other ways, in some ways, that's uh, like double the 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 four venture. Uh, research that we had tapped last time around uh, to be able to see how you can finally be able to harness everything and be able to do a number nine persist through that with the vision that you have of how you want to be able to change the world um, is a very impressive piece of what he was able to persist through. And Um, what you learned last time is that uh, as opposed to changing industries that founders do when they fail, he never did because he just kept sort of headstrong in the right area with his own specific nuance, but he didn't you know, leave and go into something else. Yeah, well, I didn't go into something else, but this is the second of the ones that had struck me about how we actually changed the, if you will, product. So there was yes. the initial vision that he had for the product and how he had to learn that it was not fitting 
the vision that he had and where the market was and things like that. So um, in an earlier one called Madresh Litzion, uh, this is back in 1965. It possibly was his first ever real venture that he was that he was founding. Um, what he decided to do, what he wanted to do in his vision, this is again coming from uh, Yonason's book, um, he wanted to train a nucleus of young men from yeshiva backgrounds in how to be able to educate other people about, about uh, Judaism. And so that was his initial approach, uh, being able to take traditional people and have them be deputized. Um, the next effort that he had, it was actually the 1967 war that led to the demise of that yeshiva. Um, but so he decided to get back on the horse. Um, the next effort that he had was called Echad, which actually has some ironic elements to it with Rav Hutner's advice to him that you should be Echad, you should be the lone <laughs> founder. Uh, you should not be going and co-founding things, but Echad also failed. And it was with using that same kind of approach that he had had. Um, and the quote from the book, that second failure to enlist those who were born into Orthodox families in his efforts. So the same kind of way that he tried to take the traditional model caused him to begin to think about those instead who themselves had gone through the teshuva process, had not been familiar with Judaism and learned about it. Let me deputize them as the primary foot soldiers in the revolution, as, uh, as Rabbi Rosenblum talks about it in his book. And so he had to go through those first two, realize that I should focus on a different customer, a different type of student, have them become the ones who are going out to be able to take my mission and be able to spread it elsewhere in the world. And it's only after going through those earlier ventures that he did that in, in some ways, the breakdown that we had at the, what became Or Sameach, Shema Yisrael, is similar to that. Whereas three co-founders still wanted that old model, bring in the classical yeshiva uh, people to be able to learn. And he was saying, no, I have to bring in a very different raw material. And that was a bit of the divergence that they had. Yeah. What's fascinating, though, is when you look now, years after his, his death, a lot of those deputizing efforts have really worked out, right? Take Project Inspire, which is really his vision of what he calls awaking the sleeping giant, which, the de was, which is the deputizing of the Orthodox community. So it didn't, didn't play out the way he thought so in 1967. It took him until the, the early 2000s, until he was able to push the agenda forward at the end, if you will, of his career, and then handed it to other people, or other people took, took the ball, and now look at this organization, right? It's now a massive organization. That was part of the vision. So I, I wonder if in, the, in some of the data that you find that even in the failed ventures of, you know, of the serial entrepreneurs, if these failed ventures actually do come to life, even in different form later on, like you never forget what you wanted to do. And now at the end of his life with more gravitas and more resources and more students, Right, I mean, he he create. I mean, think about how many things came out of Yeshua Torah, you know, like Hasbara and all these other sort of separate organizations really came from his work at Aish. And I wonder if that was. And I wonder if we now are connecting dots. If the failures of the early organizations really were just the seeds of the future organizations that didn't have the right, you know, roots to, that 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 needed to take form for it to to show fruit. No, I think the seeds approach is exactly what was coming through in that tweet that we started off with about him, the reflections that he had on how it coalesced, the lessons that we saw last time around from Evan Williams, from Lou Cerny, about intentionality around learning is going to pay dividends when it comes to being able to uh, have that eventually happen. The thing, though, that in some way, when you're talking about that the early failure and stuff, just having the founder decide that I'm going to try again is a key piece of it. 
one yeah. of the key things that came out in the data set that we talked about last time around is the people who drop off, they don't try a second one. And a lot of times it's because they just decide this is not for me. I misread my capabilities. I, this is harder than I thought and other things like that. To come back nine times, if you will, or even five times um, is remarkable. What you keep and what you dispense with is a critical part of the art of being that serial entrepreneur. And that's a bit of what you're talking about here. Yeah. Um, so we've gone through a little bit on some of the things that we've talked about before. Let's talk about one that maybe didn't change that much for him, but it was honed a little bit. That's the passion thing that we keep you know, coming back around to. Um, on the one hand, and you got a firsthand read on this, um, he never lost his impatience to impact the world. Everything went slower than he wanted. He really wanted, to, uh, he had set like a, uh, a very aggressive goal in the amount of time that he's gonna be able to revolutionize the world and got very impatient from uh, not hitting that timeline or anything like that. But he did learn a little bit along the way about what a more realistic pace would be. Um, being able to moderate it slightly for the realities of the world and the people he was going to involve and other things like that. And so for me, that had a little bit of the echoes of the early things that we talked about with making sure passion doesn't become all a minus, that it doesn't blind you to all of these things, having a little bit of the reality, the head that's checking the heart. Um, and so there seemed to be some evidence that um, he was able to bring the two of them together, a little bit more of the realism, a little bit more of the head, but still maintaining that passion that he had to be able to change the world. I wonder where, and I wonder if you see in your research where this this plays out. Rav Noach had a very interesting relationship with Hashem, with God, right? He felt very much that God was doing the work, and all he needed to do was sort of start it, because with, with God, anything's possible. I remember being in the room, and he told me the example that was a famous example he's given before. I've heard it on many of his tapes, which is um, the, the directing the crane, right? When you, when you see a construction site and there's a guy in the bottom sort of directing the crane, like he's not actually moving the mountain. He's not actually breaking the house down. But if you, if you, if you don't look up, it looks like he is, right? And that's how we are, meaning we, all we got to do is do a little bit. And the power of God flows through us and the world changes. And I wonder if you think about it, where, where that fits in. Right? It clearly fits in in the religious stuff where Rav Noah felt very strongly that it was his responsibility. I remember being in his office. He, could, he must have been in his 90s or his 80s. He was, he was yelling positively about the, about the Jewish people. Like it, it, He never slowed down. He never said, okay, I'm done. Like He, he felt the, 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 the mission of trying to bring Jews closer to God in every fiber of his being to the end of his life. I, I wonder where the, the, the belief in the higher power piece comes in the larger business world. And, you know, I'm saying this Lahav deal. I don't in any way are connecting the two. But I'm thinking about, you know, John D. Rockefeller. And if you look at his life and, and you know, he did things that I think were nefarious. And I don't think if you look through um, the, the development of Standard Oil, would you say that was a company filled based on ethics? But John D. Rockefeller very much believed that it was God's will that he would, you know, make all this money so that he can give it away. So, and even if in the beginning of Standard Oil, the, the deputies did get that that sense of we're on a mission. And I, I wonder how that plays. I wonder how that plays in a secular business marketplace where the I'm on a mission, I have a higher power with me. I have, you know, spiritual resources. This is not just physically happening or not going to happen. There's another matrix that I'm going to engage in that's going to go beyond nature to enable my success. 
and how that works in terms of entrepreneurs' success in the larger business world. Yeah, so you're taking us back to the last episode we talked about the founder side of it in Hebrew, lo alecha hamlacha more. Uh, start it, even if you're not going to be the one to take it all the way. We talked about it through the lens of the successor CEO, the one who will take it from there and be able to to write it over to an exit and things like that. What you're framing it as is, in terms of Rav Noah's perspective on it, I am the one who is starting it, and then lo alecha hamlacha more. I don't have to finish it because Hashem will take it from my hands and be able to help be able to continue the work that I've been able to start. And how to be able to become a partner with Hashem, how to be able to uh, have the ways in which we're putting in the hishtadlus, in which we're you know putting in the effort that enables the ball to get rolling and then to continue, but where we're able to partner in a way that with the ultimate partner um, in being able to change the world. You're also teeing up something. We're going to get into exits and how you'd be able to use the uh, the money that you have with it. There was actually a very interesting shear, a very interesting Torah class I was listening to recently uh, from Shai Shachter um, talking about a question that um, someone as, who had just exited um, asked about my taking my miser by 10% from my exit. I got a lot of money from it and how to use it at best. That is embodying a lot of the, uh, the right orientation of I've been given this money as a gift to use in the right way. And how can I be able to do that now that Hashem has given me the, uh, the gift of getting to an exit? And so we'll get into some of those types of questions when we uh, get into the tail end of the process that we've been looking at, at the end of the entrepreneurial life cycle with the exits. Great. Okay, so uh, teeing right. it up, we've, we've talked about a bit of the uh, broader examination of exit options that's still yet to come, how to okay, decide around to it and other things like that. And um, also we'll get into other ways to enter into entrepreneurship. Uh, well, the entrepreneurship by acquisition of being able to buy an existing company and being able to use that. That's again, the person who's going to be able to take the ball from the founder and be able to continue it into being able to uh, heighten the impact and be able to reach the potential within the venture. Well, thank you so much for this episode. And uh, for those that are joining us, we'll, you'll hear from what we just said in many episodes coming forward. Hope you enjoyed this this one in specific on Rav Noach. And there's so much more you can learn about Rav Noach. Um, what's the name of the book again? So the book, actually, let me uh, grab it from under my laptop here. Um, the title, very appropriately, is Reb Noach Weinberg. Um, it's uh, Torah Revolutionary, and it's by Jonasson Rosenblum. And, I, and he was everything but he was everything of a revolutionary. It was really an incredible thing. Thanks so much for joining us in, on the Founders Podcast. Stick with us uh, on all of our podcasts. You check out the ones in the back. Um, it'll help understand because each of these podcasts are actually interconnected. And we look forward to seeing you next time.